good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are around the world. This is MP Stradom, and your co-host of the Mindwall podcast, speaking to you from Pretoria, and with me, my co-host, Jean Roux. Hello, MP, and I have not joined you for quite a few podcasts, and uh, I must say I'm really impressed with what you've pulled off the last few podcasts. Good job, man. Yeah, we're blessed with speaking to very interesting people about very interesting things. And as a matter of fact, we're going to have a review episode, our next episode, where Jean and I are going to talk a little bit uh, about some of our favorite guests and some of the favorite topics that we've had the privilege to discuss on the Mindwalk podcast as we approach our 50th podcast. And this is the Mindwalk podcast. As a reminder, tongue-in-cheek, when you listen to this, you'll be able to walk your mind and warp your mind into the future at much faster speeds. Talking about that, we've got a guest that is busy warping an industry and a specific mining group, uh, MP. Yes, that's right. Rikus Grimbeek is the president and CEO at uh, Travaling Mining Company. He's also a cycling enthusiast. And it's interesting, if you look at his LinkedIn profile, he claims that he's building the world's most sustainable mining company. Rikus, welcome to the Mindwalk podcast. Thank you, MP, and thank you, John. Good to be with you guys. Excellent. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's a very bold claim, and it comes from a fairly new but very bold company. Can you just tell us in two seconds a little bit about Trevali? Yeah, Trevali is a uh, silver-led zinc company. You know, we've currently got four operations around the world. We have an operation in Peru, we've got an operation in Canada, an operation in Burkina Faso, and then one in Namibia. But I think the company is much more than that. You know, we, we're a bunch of very committed people that truly really want to create the world's most sustainable company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we use, you know, we tap into the, the skills and the knowledge of our people. We've created an amazing team. We run a company on a very different structure and not the, the normal, typical structure that you would have. It's a very flat organization. We we focus heavily on inclusion. So I got this, you know, a lot of people talk about inclusion and diversity and kind of collapse the two into one, two concepts into one. They two very distinct things. You know, you you for me, inclusion is a is an action. You've got to work on inclusion every single moment of the day. Oh. Um, and the outcome is diverse thoughts and diverse people that would be willing to join. And, and and sometimes you have diverse people, but you don't allow them to speak up. So, uh, but if you create an inclusive environment, uh, that's what you can do. And, and the, the thing with diversity is it's not about ticking boxes or, you know, looking good. It's actually about creating performance. And, yeah. and what we find is that, you know, if we can tap into all people that we have working for us, and, and, and I'll talk a little bit about the community as well, is that the, the ideas and the ways that you do work just improves dramatically. So when I say the, the communities, I, I mean that as well. It's not, a, again, a tick box thing where, you know, you, you say all these wonderful things about um, including communities. It really is a partnership with communities because, you know, mining, mining is not a sustainable industry by definition. We don't take things back, we take things out. So by design, it's, it's going to come to an end at some stage. So it's important to to think about what you're going to leave behind when you start because that's going to impact the community in which you operate and the flip side is that you know we we also in the backyard of communities and countries and we will be leaving things behind that that they need to be happy with Mm. and i work in some really interesting parts of the world in, in my career 
and I've I've seen firsthand how mining impacts communities and how it impacts kids' um, sure. environment. And at, from from a very young age in in the industry, I realized that there, there must be a better way to do this. You know, there must be a way that we can we can supply the metals to the world that the world needs because you know we <laughs> I, I do i do smile when people tell me that mining is not essential or that you know we you know, we don't need mining that person normally need to get look at their phone and say <laughs> you know, this thing won't be here if it's not for mining but i think there is and i know there is a better way of doing mining and i'm also very very pleased that, that our you know some of my colleagues in the industry are also moving towards this and everyone's trying to to get their head around how to do this. I think what we do, and maybe it ties nicely with your, the title of your podcast, is we, we're doing it at warp speed. Right. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I joined Trivali is that, you know, I've worked for bigger companies in, in the past as well. And I'm not the, I'm the most patient person. You know, I, I like to get stuff going and moving. And it's like my team would say to you that I think and work in hours and days, not months and years. And that's also part of an, an agile approach. You know, I, yeah. I'm also not scared to make mistakes and to give something a go. And, and then if it doesn't turn out the way we thought, then we, we pivot and we, we find a way to, to take the next step. So yeah, I, yeah, we're creating this company and, and some, some might say we, we think too much of ourselves. That's why we say we, we're creating the world's most sustainable company. But to me, that's just a goal and hopefully it, it yeah. challenges other, other CEOs to also say, no, we want to be that one because I'd be super happy if, if, um, <laughs> If others can give it a go as well, because, you know, I think the industry needs it. You know, and I think the world needs it. The world needs sustainable mining. And it's possible through through people, technology and, and the platforms that we, we can use. I'm going to come back to a point that you've made now and maybe I'll ask you a little bit about the changing reputation of mining. And whether you think mining has managed to change its reputation. But before we go down that route. You talk about people and you talk about communities and sustainability and all things kind and fluffy, and yet you're a mining engineer. <laughs> so, you know, that, those aren't things that people connect, you know, engineering and, and these kinds of approaches. So tell us a little bit about Rikas Gromir. How did you become the person that you are? Where did you grow up? What's your background? And so on. Yes, yeah, so I was born in South Africa. And I think I know I'm super proud of that because I think South Africa gives a child a different perspective on life. You know, you there's there's a, a creativity in South Africa that's that's kind of instilled in in people that, that live there. And it's it's quite interesting because when I go back to South Africa, people don't see it. You know, but but sometimes it's very, very difficult for a fish to know that it's in water until yeah. you've taken it out of water. And South Africa's got amazing amazing creative melting pot of cultures and people and thoughts and and also there's a can-do attitude mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. uh, south africans don't you know they don't go sit in a corner and cry and you know, things don't work out and you know stamp their feet and wait for a dull payment you know you've you've got to get up and you've got to make a plan and you've, you've got to move forward so i think that, that's, that's make a plan thing so for, for interrupting you but that's of course a very south african thing to say mark a plan you've just got to make a plan and get over it isn't it yeah absolutely so you know i think so you asked who i am that you know, I'm, I'm definitely very much formed by that and informed by that um also uh, i think the my whole thinking around sustainability comes from south africa because we grew up closer to nature i've always wanted to have a farm and i ended up buying one in australia and <laughs> and i'm I, the other one is, is the, the whole thing about inclusivity and diversity i think Again, the experiences I've had 
Yeah. So I went to 11 schools wow. was all over the country and all the way from from Cape Town up to Nelspruit and everything in between. And you, you do learn a lot about inclusivity mm-hmm. and, and diversity and the power of inclusion when you're a child and you move from school to school. So that definitely shaped who I am. And then, yeah, I, I remember my dad told me when I was like in... I think today it's like grade 10, standard eight or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> they said that he's not going to pay for me to go to university. So, you know, I've, I've got to find a way to, to get a bursary. Or, so, and, and again, you know, some people would say, oh, that's terrible. You know, why, why don't you, you do that? And I think it's the best thing because it forces you to, again, make a plan. You know, you've, you've sure. got to find a way. And so I quite, quite interestingly found a, I got a bursary from our arm school. So wow. I to, to go and study mechanical engineering mm-hmm. uh, because I also love Formula One. I love cars and uh, you know, so I ended, that's how I ended up with bicycles because that's what I can afford. Um, <laughs> and I started studying mechanical engineering actually at Potts University. Oh, I won't uh, keep I, that against I, you now. <laughs> yeah, well, the next part of the story, you can. Because I, um, I I did that for a year and then I had to go and do my holiday work. And they told me for the next four years, you're going to work on the um, undercarriage or on what do you call it, the tail, the mm. suspension of mm-hmm. a rattle. So for those that, that know me will know that if you tell me that I'm going to do something for the next four years, exactly the same thing, work on the same thing, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> so um, The hours and minutes man. <laughs> yeah, the hours and minutes man. And then... Um, I also I played I played rugby and uh, I was at SAU's um, under twenty and I played for the Potts team and and then I watched the the Duckies team and they I thought mm-hmm. man I'd love to play with those guys they they seem like they're really cool and they they know what they're doing so um, <laughs> so this all came together and I said no, I need a I need to move I can't stay here so I I went and I looked at um, what other bursaries I could get and then yeah I got a mining engineering bursary from Genco and. Wow. But there's no mining engineering at Potch, so I had to move my second year to Pretoria University. Right. And that's that's when I went to Tux, and that's how I got into mining. It wasn't by any clear you know, passion to do something in, in mining. It was basically, <laughs> that's the best way I could get. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, they paid really well because they paid for your books and the classroom and, and also for the race where I stayed, so that, that worked out fine. Yeah, so that, that's and for those who would like to know which race were you in, Ericus? I think it, it kind of explains a little bit as well what what happened to me later in life. I was in college. I was just going to say it must have been college. That was right <laughs> next to the race that I was in, Divos. <laughs> yeah, and I was I was in the Republic of College. And if, so, for those of you that don't know, Republic of College is like they declared themselves separate from the Republic of South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Always a little bit different. So. Always a little bit different. That's that's fascinating. And then you got into into mining. And which mining company did you get involved with first? Yeah, so I, I had the bursary from Genco, and then I ended up doing my holiday work because when when you when you get a mining bursary that I didn't know at the time, mm-hmm. you never get a holiday because you, every holiday you've got to go and work at the mines. Yeah. Um, that's that's great from a getting some pocket money, but you know you also don't go on holidays. So I worked most of my holidays in the gold mines in Valcom and Carltonville. Mm-hmm. I became a, a Yamtar. I don't know if so for those of you that don't know a Yamtar, that's like a learner miner. There's nothing lower than a learner miner. So you you start right at the bottom of the world, literally. You know, 3,000 meters under the earth, you start life. 
Yeah, so I started in gold mining. So when I finished, uh, I did my last year dissertation on coal mining. And I thought that looked nice because you can walk upright. And, and, <laughs> there was, and I was very, very interested in mechanized mining because at that stage in the early, early 90s, uh, mechanized mining was, was you know, only in its infancy in, in South Africa. So I started at Transnatel and I, I again, kind of by luck, ended up in a mine called Delmas Collieries. And Delmas Collieries was a super struggling power station supplying mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we basically were hand to mouth every month. So mm-hmm. every month we would, you know, some months we'd make a little bit of profit and other months would be under. And so I learned everything there from, you know, how to really speak Fanagalo, how to really <laughs> connect with people, how to, how to work unsafely and safely. And I think that's also shaped a lot of what, what I've wow. thought about safety lately in life. And also how to do every single type of job on the mine because you know you don't have many many departments. You know everyone's got to chip in and 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 make it work. And also saw the power of teamwork and also the power of the shadow a leader casts. What interests the boss fascinates the people. Yeah. And and how that can can change and impact people's lives, um, communities, and a whole organization. So yeah, that, that taught me so much about that as well. And uh, yeah, it it, it was. A fascinating two years. It also taught me that that I wanted to know a lot more about mining and the technical side of it. Then I, you know, so up until now, I was really, I, I fell into mining because of many other things other than mining. And then I started getting really interested in the technical side of mining and also how to bring mechanized mining in. So I was dumb enough, you know, to be the first or to take on the first West Alpine 75. They gave it to me. I was the, I just got my blasting ticket and um, all the, the, the mine manager came and he said, we've got this new machine that we need to use to cut, <laughs> to cut coal. And all the other older miners looked at me and they pushed me forward and said, no, he'll, he'll take it. He's, he's, he's the guy for this. And I know why they did it because we never made bonus, you know, because we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't machine to work for the first you know, three, four months. It was just a disaster. And it, was always breaking down I, I became like a mechanic and an electrician and a miner and everything to keep the machine going because it was right at the beginning it was the first machine that came in and the worst part was the funniest part was that they actually gave us no shuttle cars they gave me a trailing conveyor so right. put behind this thing so instead of a shuttle car and a loader or the the, the shuttle car behind and the, the, the continuous miner they continuous miner, yeah they, they gave us one of these conveyor belts that was supposed to follow the thing behind and, and then dump it in a tip. And it was <laughs> the biggest disaster ever because that thing never worked. So I, I ended up, um, I had to go in and steal people's shuttle cars so that we can get some production out. So we would be scrambling around the mine looking for old, old equipment that we could rebuild and get ready to, to work. So as I say, you know, sometimes you get lucky and I was lucky enough to work, work there and it gave me... A 20-year experience in two years. Wow. Because I think we're starting to understand you a little bit better now. We caught up with you many years later than this. And we often in my be say what you've done the first five to ten years of your life is really sort of predicting how you'll be behaved later. But maybe it's just a colloquial comment. But we caught you up as COO of South League 2. We work with you a little bit there at Vale and now at Trevali. And you are truly thinking differently than other executives. You are truly believing and are expediting and pushing your team towards the intersection of community processes, technology, 
tools, etc., and constantly challenging uh, the status quo. I think you'd explain to us, maybe if you wanted to link that up, fast forwarding to now, what is your view of, of how you are busy reforming Trivali? And I see that you are improving the business, you are getting investors to invest in uh, Rashpina, you guys made an announcement on the 17th of August. So why are you so different? I'm not sure why I'm different. I'm just being myself, and that seems to be different. So after Damas, I had so many different experiences. Um, you know, I worked with many different teams. I went back to university. Oh. Actually, I actually taught. I was a lecturer for a little bit. That is quite scary. Those poor, <laughs> poor students that had to listen to me talk about rock engineering for a while. I didn't think they, they would be great rock engineers today. But it just became clear to me that we must do things differently. And I think one of the, the, the points you made earlier was, you know, is what do people think of mining? And I've been doing this for 30 years now. And I'd say, and, and my, my colleagues and my, my peers in the industry don't like me when I say this, but you know, we still don't have a great name. The industry right. has not really moved the needle on, on the, the perception around mining for many, in, in many different reasons, not just the, the environmental impact, just the male-dominated workforces we have. Not not just the uh, the the way people get treated at at, mm. at operations, our communities get treated, but also on the safety side. And you know, I'm super passionate about safety and and, and mm. moving it to a totally different way of thinking. And I, I think part of why we struggle is that you know you, you're only as good as your weakest link. Mm. And you know, they, and there are mining companies out there and, and and people in the industry that are doing amazing things, absolutely amazing things on the ESG side on the safety side, on the community side. And then you have one disaster where the tailings dam in the kills more than 300 people. You know, so those things really, really put the industry back many, many, many years. And, and then I think we, the other one is that we, we really need to ground ourselves in the fact that people do not like mining. You know, we, we can keep on telling people to, to like mining and that they should just get it. But until you get that, they don't then you are not going to take a different tack. You know, telling people that they need to like you is not that, that effective, you know. So you, you, you've got to find a way to, to behave differently, to include, to support, to share. And you'll see we're going to go through a very interesting phase now where, you know, my view is there's another big bull market coming or we, we, we're at the start of another big metals bull market. I'm not going to mention a company, but I, I saw some results this week and, you know, they're making a margin, a profit margin of 73%. Um, so uh, the interesting part is that we are going to see some large profits being made, large margins being made. And when you look at it from a capitalist point of view and where, you know, people that we, we, we run long dated capital intensive businesses, you know, so you make large capital investments and that needs to be paid back over time. And part of yeah. the payback is that it depends on the big swing in, in, in metal prices, because there'll be years that you make a lot of money and other years you'll struggle, but you need to, to bank those good years. But the problem is the perception from the outside is you're making massive profits. Mm. And our minds are a lot of times in countries where, you know, the a large proportion of the country's people don't live over the bread line. You know, they, they live on less than a dollar a day or two dollars a day. Mm. And then you have a mine that makes plus 70 percent margin. So we, we can have and we're seeing that we're seeing it in South America at the moment a move again to, to push mining companies to share more of their profits. And I think that model will have to shift at some states. Uh, we, we will have, otherwise, we're always just going to have a cyclical thing. You know, we up and down, the relationships are good when, when everyone kind of feels that they're getting a fair deal and then 
it moves again when people feel that they're not getting a fair deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's going to be a, a big challenge for for the industry because it's more than just technical and it's more than just the structures and the engagement you have. It's a fundamentally different way of building a mining company. Yeah. So interesting challenges for us in the next few years. Rikas, then just to close out on my question, top four things which need to be done differently for mines to re-earn the respect, change, adapt to the future, etc. What are the top things that you are pushing? You are pushing things in uh, in minutes and hours and days and and we've seen it, uh, we felt it. So yeah, what, what are those things? Yeah, for me, it starts with safety because so, so much of that, the mindset that we need is is captured in a way that I believe we should be thinking of safety. So I challenge my teams with the question, can you guarantee me no one's going to get hurt today? And that's a, a challenging question because um, both answers, yes and no, is, is correct. Because if you if you say, yes, I can, my next question will be, will be why? Because what, what are you doing so that you can guarantee me no one's going to get hurt? And if you say no, you know, what, what we need to do right now to make sure that you can, because, you know, if, if we can't do that, if we don't think from that angle where it's not a journey to zero. So people joke about me saying that, you know, I, I hate the word journey. I honestly do not like the word journey when it comes to the, the thinking around safety, because, you know, this, the, the concept of being on a journey towards zero harm or towards a safe future means that I'm going to accept not being there today. Yes. That's okay. Yes. And mm-hmm. so there's this one one day in future that that we all will be okay with, you know, not hurting people. That oh. to me doesn't work. Doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gives you a different way of thinking about what I what do I need to do right now, in this moment, so that I can get the outcome that I want. Sure. So for right. me, you know, and and then it's also once you take that step, you you look at safety and you you would truly want to guarantee the safety of people. It. You need you need to be far better in planning and scheduling work. Wow. The only way that you can do that is if I know what's happening right now and I can then make sure that if there are certain tasks that people are doing that have got a high risk of them making a mistake, then I can go and supervise that. I can send someone there to make sure that they know that what the risks are, they understand the, the controls. So it's it's super important that so first you need to believe that zero is possible right now. Secondly, you need far, far, far better planning and scheduling. So you, you start thinking about that. It's also the fundamental building blocks of a mine of the future because you move from where, you know, in mining, so you, you would have heard this maybe before, but, you know, mining, we use planning as rough guidance. And so <laughs> very rough. That, very rough. Yeah, it's like measured every quarter. You see if you kind of went into the direction that you should have. And that, that might be flippant. But the thing is, if for us to truly get to where we need to be as an industry, we need to do what, for example, the automotive industry does. You know, they plan in, in hours and seconds. And they, they plan not just the, the work they do, but the logistics chains of delivering things. And, and the thing is, we need to drop the idea that mining is different, mining is difficult, you can't see it, lots of changes. Everything yeah. changes for everyone. And once you just believe that you can actually plan and schedule work to the, the hour and second, and you should have multiple plans ready if this plan can't be executed, then you realize that. It, this is possible. And the other overlay is, okay, will only become truly possible with the use of technology. Because if you look at an underground mine, to be able to plan a schedule, to be able to, to get people to, to be safe all the time, you need technology. You need to know if mm. it's ventilation. You need to know, you need visibility. You need to know where machines are. You need to make sure that machines can, can sense people. And you know, so all those things need to be built into to the mind of the future. So you asked me what's the, the thing I, the four things, 
for the three things. For me, safety is the absolute, absolute starting block of all of this. And then secondly, I'd say that, so I get in trouble for saying this, but I, I truly believe it, so I, I will keep on saying it, is that for me, the best outcome for the future of mining is that we don't open more mines. Wow. And that we step far, far deeper into the circular economy and we look at ways of utilizing, utilizing waste, uh, waste piles. They've got so much metal in it still mm. today. We just need different technology to, to liberate that. And the beauty of it is people are doing this. And you'll see our caribou operation. We, we're studying a fascinating technology called rapid oxidative leach that will fundamentally change the way that mining is being done in New Brunswick, where our mine is, because it, it goes from ore to, to metal. There's no concentrate production and then smelting. It goes straight from ore to metal. We retreat all the tailings. We get all the precious metals out of the tailings. Right. And it's an environmentally very, very sound process. So it's a, people have, have developed and are developing technology that is totally going to change mining, um, not mm. just at, you know, to get the, the rock out of the ground, but also then the, the processing side, I think it's going to see some of the biggest yeah. shifts in, in the next decade. So I believe that we, we need to do a lot more of that. And uh, a link to that is the third point is, is um, energy. I think what's going to make this all possible is the, the advent of, of cheap electricity. So, uh, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, I ran the, the HSE function for BHP Bulletin. And, and one of the things that I worked on was a climate change policy for Bulletin for BHP back then. And I remember the, the conversations that I got to, I, I, this, again, was one of those amazing, amazing opportunities. You get given a task and, um, and it, it changes your life. So I got to learn, and I got to spend time with the, the top, top, top climate change people in the world back then. And also people that looked at different alternative um, energy sources. And I can remember the first time I, I spoke to this a renewable energy expert and, and she said to me, energy will become a lot cheaper, virtually free in the next 20 years. And I looked at it and I thought, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a wild statement that I truly didn't believe at all at the time. Like, what, what do you mean? And, and also the other statement she made was that the whole idea of baseload that needs to come from coal or, you know, these big um, non-renewable sources, yeah, fossil fuels will, will not be necessary in future, that, that you can create baseload with renewable energy. And I also thought, well, yeah, I, 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 I can't see that. And honestly, she was absolutely spot on. And the thing is, I've, I've come to see that, you know, energy is going to become a lot, lot, lot cheaper. And the reality right. of that is that will allow us to treat much lower grade stockpiles. You know, it'll, mm. it'll allow us to bring your, um, your, your cut of grade right, right down because of the cost of absolutely. energy. Yeah. So the overlay of technology and the overlay of the cost of energy, I think, is, is going to make a huge difference. And then lastly, I'd say it's people um, in our industry, you know, we, we're sitting at a very interesting and a very challenging juncture in our industry from a training and a, and a skilled workforce and also lifestyle. You know, the, the pandemic has been terrible, but also godsend because, you know, it, it's, it showed us that we, we can move a lot faster than that people can think. Um, you know, we, countries and, and the world can actually do stuff in hours and days if we really all either get forced or, or, yeah. or pulled together in one direction. Our mindset. It, 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 yeah, it, yeah it, it can be done. And I think we've got to grab that mindset and see why and what happened there and create that for training the workforce of the future. Because, yeah. you know, the type of people and the type of skill sets that we have today will not, will not be effective in the next uh, five to 10 years. 
And and for me, I say this to the Trivadi workforce. You know, my the workforce of the future is the current one retrained. Sure. Um, and we need to find ways to do that, and and we need to find ways to to support them to do that whilst they also creating the most sustainable mining company in the world. So, yeah. I remember some twenty odd years ago, one of the first meetings I had on the, one of the world's deepest gold mines here in South Africa. And interestingly enough, I was working on a, a health and safety project. Uh, there as well. And I walked into the Monday morning meeting of the general manager and it was in an auditorium and he was going through the previous month's numbers and he looked at the electricity cost and he said to his team, and I, I can't use the exact words that he used because it's not repeatable <laughs> in polite society, but he said something to the tune of, if you think I'm happy with this energy ball, Try me next month and you'll find my size nine somewhere you don't like it. <laughs> and, and it struck me that things have to change in order for us to continue with the mining industry that provides the kind of comforts or that's the basis for the kinds of comforts that the world is used to. We're kind of running out of time and you've, you've touched on many of the things that we wanted to. Thanks so much for that. It's absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. I want to quickly come back to, to another interest that you have before we draw our podcast to a close. And that is, you referred to bicycles <laughs> earlier <laughs> on. You're uh, involved with or started a company, if I'm not mistaken, called Mello Velo. Tell us a little bit more about that because that also talks to your passion for people. Yeah, so I, um, I I started this um, nearly five years ago, six years ago, and it started with a just a project that I wanted to help people in the community mm. called Show Some Love. And Show Some Love is about because I love cycling and I love kind of being outside and being fit, and and I wanted to share some of that that passion with others um, that, that didn't have access to it. So what I started was a you know foundation, whatever you want to call that. But it yeah. was the idea was that we we would take older bikes, so people that donate their old bikes that they don't use anymore, mm-hmm. um, and then rebuild and refurbish the bicycle with someone in need. So someone at, at risk, or a kid's at risk, or someone in need. So we started rebuilding bikes. Um, you know, identified kids that that wanted wanted the bike but didn't have the means to buy one. So we would take that and then rebuild the bike with them. So they had to put in hours, you know, to to get mm-hmm. it to a state where they can they can then ride away with it. Because the idea was at the end of it they can take the bike. So we started that and and then I quickly so I that's maybe why I'm not a Formula One driver or a mechanic is because I realized I'm not that great at, at fixing bikes. <laughs> I need some help <laughs> because. Some bicycles are are pretty um pretty technical these days, and you know it, it looks a lot simpler than it is. Yeah. So I, I started looking for a bike mechanic to help me, and then I I couldn't find one, and then I decided, well, just I'll, I'll buy a, a bike shop because yeah. bike shops have mechanics. So <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up getting uh, buying a bike shop, and then I um and, and it was also a bit of a, a challenge for me from a a startup community you know how do you how do you start small business in a community and and how do you run a small business and how does that differ from large organizations and i can tell you it's totally different it's a totally mm-hmm. different experience and i love branding so we created the brand mellow velo so if you put the words mellow velo and so it's mellow with one l um, mm-hmm. next to one another it says love in the middle and that's that's, ah. that's where wow. If you see the heart, that's that's the like the, the logo. logo. That is a M and a V. A heart is a M and a V. So mellow. That's mellow. right. So I, I, and love, and it, it's all built around you know connecting 
the passion for cycling with uh, passion for community because sure. what we have is, is a meadow villa the, the larger concept now it still has the social side of it but it also is has a coffee shop with healthy food it's got the best mm. coffee in Bunbury where the shop is, is located um, <laughs> and it's created a community not just a cycling community but a community of, of people that come in and spend time and connect so we sell right. the best bikes and, and also make the best coffee and we we support we actually support today one of the Olympic athletes in Australia. We have racing teams, so we've got social teams that go out for rides. And yeah, it's a concept that I think every town needs a Mello Bello. You know, you you can franchise that over time as well because it's it truly is a, a safe space for people to get in. I don't know if you ever if you guys cycle, but you know, in the beginning when you start cycling and you walk into a bike shop, if your legs are not shaven, you feel a bit out, you know, you feel like <laughs> a bit intimidated walking into a bike shop. And that's what we wanted to break is the, the, the stigma around, you know, bicycle yeah. shops. You know, it's all about racing and and that that it's it's actually a very inclusive and it provides mobility to millions of people around the world. It provides education. So in, in large parts of Africa, people will not have an education if they didn't have bicycles. Yeah, yeah. And for reference to our global audience, uh, Bunbury is what, two hours drive south of Perth, more or less. But you are sitting in Vancouver today. Yes, I am. Yeah, so I'm, I'm running it remotely, but but again, and, and and it comes it comes back to a team. You know, so mm-hmm. what an amazing team of people that that are there that are super passionate about the business and talk you know a couple of times a week. And they they run a and through the pandemic have been able to run a very successful business. So they are all partners in a business now. So it's a truly like a, a large family business. Rikus, thank you so much. That's, that is really incredible. I guess it does speak to to the values that we, as your partner and also a service provider to Travali, have seen and experienced in dealing with you. It's been a pleasure having you on MindWarp. Thank you so much. We always end this discussion with a similar question. We'll publish this onto our website so that people have access to it. What is on your bedside table? What are you reading? Yeah, at the moment, I, I finished the book um, Blink from Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you've ever read that, Blink. Really, really interesting. And it, yep. it, it's, it, it kind of helps people understand that you know, we, we all have prejudices and it's not your fault. It's just yeah. being human. You know? so it's, and, and it's more being aware of it that that's the power of it lies in that is that once you realize that yep, we all have that and we all do that, and it's, it's just how do you catch yourself? I just actually last night ordered on Amazon another book I called 1984. I don't know if you ever read that. Yeah, George Orwell. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I want to I want to read that. I've, I've read some good reviews. Yeah, and again for me the the interesting part would be to understand how you could predict basically what it looked like in 1984, 70 years earlier. So what yeah. what is it that he saw and and how that relates to what we do today? So yeah, I look forward to reading that. Absolutely. Rikus, thank you so much. John, over to you to close. Yeah, thank you very much, Rikus. And uh, to the audience, please remember when you're working with Rikus, he is the No Journeys, Hours to Minutes CEO, which uh, believes in safety first. However, what was fascinating to me is that that drives everything else. It drives planning, etc. But from other people, you'll hear planning and efficiency and then right at the bottom, safety. So safety, the circular economy, Free energy and remember to retrain people and have completely new skills. We thank you, Rikus. Thank you so much for joining. We hope we can do this again in the future with you. We're looking out for what you are doing in the communities with a keen eye and with green metals and with green energy. Thank you so much. Thank you.